Hello, and welcome to Cinedrunk, where we are drunk on cinema and alcohol, brought to you by Cinemunch.com. I'm one of your hosts, Matt, who is the Cine of Cinemunch. I'm joined by the Munch in Cinemunch, Nathan. Hi. And our good friend, Elizabeth. Hello. And welcome to our first Cinedrunk episode. So the movie that we all saw together and will be reviewing today was Grand Budapest Hotel, directed by Wes Anderson. And as we will have for every one of these podcasts, we came up with a themed drink. Um, so I will turn it over to Nathan, our resident mixologist, to tell us <laughs> oh, yes. what beverage he came up with. Yes. So what would Sandrunk be without a drink? It would be mm-hmm. nothing. Nothing. So um, tonight we have a, a new creation by Sandrunk called O de Palinka. Um, and this is kind of uh, inspired by many things in this movie. I kind of went down the rabbit hole with this one. Um, so in in the movie, um, M. Gustav, played by Ray Fiennes, uh, has a penchant for wearing a strong uh, cologne called L'Air de Panache. And I wanted to pay tribute to him in some way. So immediately I thought of Eau de Vie, um, some sort of, you know, brandy, uh, after dinner or before dinner drink that would, that would kind of fit the bill. And then I was researching what, uh, classic Hungarian liqueurs there were in the world. And I, I came across, uh, this, this, uh, flavored brandy called Palinka. And I'm sure my pronunciation of that is spot on. (laughs) Um, Yes. And so we're paying tribute to Palinka, which is uh, a brandy flavored with any number of fruit uh, fruits um, by using a blue plum brandy. This particular one is from Clear Creek Distillery in Oregon, I believe. Portland. I'm actually just going to read you the label because it's really interesting. Um, it's blue plum brandy. Uh, and it says, this brandy is pot distilled from a pure fermented mash of Italian blue plums, much as it has been made for centuries in France, where it is known as Ketch, <laughs> Germany as Zwetschengenwasser, and in much of Eastern Europe as Slivovitz. Again, pronunciation, spot on. Right, of course. I'm spot fluent on. in all of these. <laughs> Naturally. Um, so we uh, did a little spin on um, a cocktail called the Ginger Rogers, which, um, of course, Ginger Rogers reached her height of fame in the 1930s, which is uh, an era that also links to the film. Um, and that drink uses apricot brandy, gin, vermouth, and dashes of lemon. So we just replaced the apricot with blue plum, and all of a sudden, it's our own drink that we created (laughs) called Eau de Palinka. Um, So that's the long story of what we're drinking, and it is delicious. It is, and if you'd like to to mix one up at home, we'd have the the recipe on on the website, but it's just one ounce each of the blue plum brandy, one ounce dry gin, one ounce dry vermouth, and four dashes of lemon juice. Mix it in a cocktail shaker, pour, and enjoy. 
It's it's real strong, and we are <laughs> just about done with our first one. It is mm-hmm. very much alcohol. Yes, that's how I would. With an exclamation! Point. My my very sensitive palate says this is this is all alcohol. But it's also kind of refreshing. It, it tastes a bit like like summer, which we we're all hoping for. Which is interesting because most of this film does not take place during the summer. That's true. Um, oh well, <laughs> <laughs> can't win them all. So no. perhaps we should we should talk about the film. Yes. Um, I am sure if you have seen any movie in the cinema over the past year, you have seen the trailer for this film. Yeah. I think Ugh. we saw the trailer for this movie about 20 times. Seriously. That's really not, almost not an exaggeration. Um, which in some ways was kind of a bummer because some of the funnier moments we had already seen like 11 times. So it True. sort of took the humor out of what were legitimately funny bits, but we had seen them. True. But I'm, I'm getting off track. So the movie, <laughs> it starts with an older narrator who is an author. And he then talks about when he was younger and he visited the Grand Budapest Hotel in the 60s. And he met sort of a mysterious fellow named Zero, who it turned out was the current owner and proprietor of the Grand Budapest Hotel, which at this point is sort of run down. Um, and our young author who is narrating this portion of the film is Jude Law. And the mysterious person he meets is F. Murray Abraham. F. Abraham Murray. <laughs> no, Murray Abraham. For oh, sure. <laughs> I just flipped it. It's fine. That <laughs> fellow. Blame the Amadeus. first instance. Oh, DePolenka. Oh, DePolenka. Um, and so then he sort of takes over the narration and talks about when he was just starting out as a new lobby boy at the Grand Budapest Hotel um, in, the 30s. in the 30s. And he, his character's name is Zero, and he is played in younger version by Tony Revolori, mm-hmm. perhaps is how you say his name? Sure. Um, Slip of it. And so Zero narrates most of our movie, which is about how Zero meets M. Gustav, played by Ray Fiennes, who is the concierge of the mm-hmm. hotel. And, um, I already let that cat out of the bag. But. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> anyway. And his sort of tales of intrigue with him. Uh, and a big part of the this initial setup is that M. Gustav, as a way to perhaps make <laughs> extra friends and perhaps money, is he woos all the old lady patrons. So all the elderly lady patrons like him and he sleeps with them all and one in particular is my favorite, Madame D, played by Tilda Swinton. Yes. Um, in some amazing old age makeup. For sure. And at the beginning, there's a scene between her and M. Gustav where she says she's concerned she's not going to return to the Grand Budapest Hotel, which I should mention at this point in the 30s is like resplendent. It's oh, yes. beautiful and very bustling. Um, and Ray finds just sort of think she's just being an old lady at the time, but it turns out a few months later, I think, a month later, she winds sure. up dead. I don't know. I don't know the timeline. Not I don't important. know the timeline. No, she I don't think, a, yeah, there are, the details dead. are not really. So she winds up dead, and she has left him in her will a very famous, priceless portrait called Boy with Apple. Yes. <laughs> and her family is very upset, and it sets off a whole series of events. And the film is mostly a caper, mm-hmm. I think is how I would describe yeah. it. It was a pretty good, almost sober 
synopsis. <laughs> <say>. <laughs> Perfect. So, uh, so Matt, Nathan, what did you think of this movie? I quite liked it. I was thoroughly entertained, and I definitely enjoyed it. You know, he Wes Anderson definitely has a style, and he sticks to it, and he, you know, creates these beautiful pictures, and they're really panoramic, and no one else really has the style or the aesthetic that he does, and he definitely has developed that over the course of his last several movies. It's very, you know, it's like a diorama, very centered and focused images, and he's been using a lot of the same actors, which um, is always fun to see. You know, it's a great cast. It's really deep. There's a lot of great people in this movie that don't get much to do because they are, it's almost like glorified cameos, but it's great to watch, especially as a film lover. And I thought this sort of caper type style of, of film really suited his style of filmmaking, actually. And it, it was sort of more exciting and electrifying than some of his other uh, films, I would say. Yeah, I think it was more immersive in a mm. way. Like you, I felt I was also really entertained. I really enjoyed it. Um and I felt fully immersed in the world that he created in a way that maybe I haven't been watching other films and I don't of his. And I don't know if that's um, because I've just seen more of his stuff. So I'm just used to his aesthetic and his kind of devices that he uses. Or if this one was just a little bit less kind of self-conscious or self-aware. Mm -hmm. And I appreciated that. It wasn't there wasn't as much to take me out of out of the the enjoyment of the style of the film i wasn't thinking as much um about the filmmaking um true which is hard i think with a wes anderson film right to I, agree. <laughs> I think it was really sort of anchored by tony revelori i feel like he was because he's so young and yeah. we yeah. haven't seen him in things he was less sort of affected or stylized, like, oh, I'm in a Wes Anderson movie. I'm going to be, you know, I don't want to say hipster, but I, I don't, everything about Wes Anderson is, is very, you know, he has that style. And I, I feel like it was easy to relate to that character who was sort of, I mean, there were a, a couple protagonists or main characters at various points, um, but I thought he was natural in a way that, that some of the other performers especially in past Wes Anderson movies, haven't been. Well, he, he felt kind of thrown into that style just in the right. same way this character was thrown into exactly. all the... And that worked, and I that think, worked for really the audience. Well. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Agreed. Yeah, I actually thought the same thing, and I liked the movie when we saw it. We saw it on Sunday, and it is now Tuesday night, Tuesday evening when we're recording it. Um, but the longer I've sat with it, the more I like it, actually. Hmm. Like, I liked it at the time, but sort of afterwards I... I agree with what you said. I think his like overly stylized, sort of picturesque, like nothing about the setting is real. Even we should mention, even though the name is the Grand Budapest Hotel, it's not set in Hungary. It's set in the Republic of Zubroka. So like a fictional right. sort of European <laughs> um, mountain, right. mountain country. <laughs> um, but it, it really lent itself to the movie because nothing about it was really meant to be real. And even having it be narrated, mm -hmm. there's a, there's an aspect of 
it not quite being always a reliable narrator. Like, I believe, mm. isn't there even a point where someone says, like, no way the coincidence of, like, this happening here. You know what I mean? Right. Like, it's, they definitely call out that it's perhaps embellished storytelling, mm. which really works then with the look of it. I was also, right when it started, between the score, which I really liked. Loved. Loved Alexandra the score. Alexandra. Back in so good form. Good. Back in good form. Um... It reminded me, actually, of the show Pushing Daisies, which I don't know if you guys ever saw, but it's great. I would highly recommend it. But that was also, like, super stylized, super saturated colors, like, had almost, like, fairy Mm -hmm. tale-esque score, had a narrator telling the story. Like, I don't know, it just, it suited his style without necessarily seeming cloying, because I feel like sometimes he tries to set the world that is meant to be the world that we all live in. Mm-hmm. but then it doesn't actually look or feel anything like the real world and his characters don't usually and I love Wes Anderson films but a mm-hmm. lot of times his characters don't feel like real people either right that's true I think I had the same you know in terms of more negative aspects I think I had the same takeaway f- from this movie that I do with most Wes Anderson movies give or take maybe Royal Tenenbaums and that's well, I'm thoroughly entertained and my intellect is stimulated and I enjoy watching the experience of watching the movie. It doesn't really connect deeper. Like, it doesn't get to my heart. It, like, emotionally, yeah. It doesn't move me. And so it doesn't stick with me very much. Like, I, I try to think of other things from his past movies and they don't stick with me like other movies do. I actually remember being really affected by the Darjeeling Limited. Some of the stuff with the brothers at the end, I remember being affected, but now I don't remember what it was. I just remember, like, at the time, you know, like, I remember actually crying in the movie and being surprised and feeling Mm -hmm. like it had more heart. I think it's also because I saw it with a friend at the time who had a brother, so he, like, really felt the connection to the brothers in that movie. Mm. So I might have been swayed by that. But I would agree, and I think that that's my one, like, real critique of this movie, is I wish it would have just... Like, especially at the end, I felt like he was trying to say something bigger about, like, life and isolation yeah, and, right. and loneliness. Kind of ended and, abruptly. And it yeah. ended abruptly, and I was like, he was trying to to mine something deeper, and he should have just committed to what it was, which was a really fun, funny caper. Yeah. With this And I, and I mean, to be clear, I don't think he's ever, like, going for more than what he presents. Like, you know, I think Maybe. this is what he... He makes the films that he wants to make. Right. And I just... They connect with some people and not really emotionally. I don't know. I think he has a lot of, of ideas about... I mean, it's not a coincidence that he set this in an indi- you know, a country that's basically a melange of other <laughs> Eastern mm-hmm. European countries in a time period between the two wars. Um, and he, right. he has, you know, the hints of the Second World War starting with a Nazi-like entity coming in. You know, he has a lot of ideas entering the mix that he clearly thought through, I mean, obviously, um, extensively, and have some greater meaning. I just don't think they ever cohere into anything quite solid enough and for me so similar to both of you I think my the downside for me is that it's almost too much style and too little substance mm-hmm. um yeah. and not too much style because it, right now and I, mean, I actually disagree a little bit with you Elizabeth he what <laughs> <laughs> for those of you listening I just threw my martini in Nathan's face <laughs> 
I think, um, wow, you scared me so much. Now I forgot what I was going to say. Sorry, I, she gave me, me the look of death over here. You disagree um, with me. Yeah, so I did. <laughs> I disagree with you. I, th I think he, he did fully commit to the style and to, um, I, I understand what you're saying about uh, you think he should have just fully committed to um, to doing the movie in a stylized way and not kind of tried to mine for something deeper at the end. Yeah. But I think he did he did commit and he, I think he could have done both, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. Hmm. It just it just didn't wrap up. It was like a box. It was like a Mendel's cake box that wasn't <laughs> yes. fully tied. Oh, I wanted Love all it. of those pastries. I did too. A little, a little, I'm going to sprinkle trivia throughout Please do. the <laughs> podcast, but a little um, trivia is that Saoirse Ronan? Saoirse Ronan. Saoirse yes. Ronan, um, who's great in this movie. She plays Agatha, who is the pastry chef for Mendel's. She mm -hmm. makes these little pastries throughout the movie. And she said that learning, because she had to learn how to make those pastries for a lot of the oh, scenes. Wow. And she said that having to learn how to make those pastries on screen was harder than like anything she's had she's to do, it. including all the like stunt training stuff she had to do for the film Hannah. <laughs> so I thought that was amusing. Had a girl. Cheers to pastry chefs. Cheers yes, to pastry chefs. For real. Um, on a on a quick note before we sort of move on to Wes Anderson films in general or talk more about this. Um, at the end of the film, it says that he was inspired by the writing of Stefan Zweig, hmm. who is an Austrian writer, um, prominent in the 1920s and 30s. Um, but I was looking him up a few facts, and one thing is that there's criticism over his works. It's sort of divided between two camps, and some despise his literary style as poor, lightweight, and superficial. Uh-huh. Uh -huh. And... And some of those more attached to the European tradition who praise his humanism, simplicity, and effective style. So I thought that was sort of interesting because I yeah. feel like that is sort of like Wes Anderson, Wes Anderson himself. For who, sure. And then another thing is because of the time that obviously he was living and writing, um, he, he was living in Austria during Hitler's rise to power and he was really against it. And he ended up leaving... Austria and moving to Brazil actually and then mm -hmm. he later committed suicide mm. um, but it's interesting because just reading more a little bit about him I saw a lot of parallels between himself and the character of M. Gustav mm. so I feel like sort of the style was obviously you know Wes Anderson says it was inspired by him but I also wonder if there are like traces of his own character of Sveg's character in M. Gustav that was some some great trivia. Thank you. Good job. You know, well I like to I like to drop some knowledge every once in a while. But I just really liked that quote about the two separate camps and one finding it definitely. I mean, I feel like that's very Wes Anderson critics as well. Totally. Yeah. Totally. Speaking of which, so another thing that I was struck by in this movie compared to other Wes Anderson is um, it was a little bit darker. Oh, absolutely. I mean, there were swear words and there was some like sex or like... Yeah, there was nudity. Appeal. Right. There was nudity. Old lady nudity. Our favorite yeah. kind. <laughs> <laughs> and I was shocked. I think I actually gasped 
You when did. I, I did. I was okay. next to you. I probably grabbed your arm, too. <laughs> I gasped at the old lady breasts because it was not something that you expect to see. In, in no, I mean, Wes Anderson movies are very, like, chaste. Like, right. You know, sort of asexual. Yeah, very. Very. <laughs> and they drop so many curse words. I mean... Which were so effective. So effective. I mean, obviously, swearing is so overused these days that it totally I mean, we're immune to the f word and things like that. But just coming out of Ray Fine's mouth, they were really. It, it really worked. It totally. was yeah. It was really effective with that character because he was Definitely. so. It it came at as such a disconnect to what you would expect. Right. True. Yeah. And how great was Ray Fine's? I mean, oh I feel like gosh. I haven't really, really been on board. The Ray Fiennes train in quite some time. Yeah. Where is the Ray Fiennes train? I, it's in the Republic of Zabroka. Yeah. Right <laughs> now it is. Yeah. I think it's actually a ski there. lift. It's not a yeah. train, it's the right, it's one of those Ray Fiennes <laughs> ski lift. Ski lift. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I hated the English patient. So I feel like that set my tone <laughs> for my opinion of Ray Fiennes. But he always just seemed to me as such like a dour serious like i'm an actor mm -hmm. and i sort of started to warm to him actually when he played um voldemort in the harry potter movies that was only a great because choice for him. he was so committed and seemed to actually be having a blast with it for sure um and then i appreciated last year that he took on the role in skyfall oh yeah I taking over as name. as spoiler alert for those of you who have not seen skyfall judy dench bites it she's gone so long judy mm. Um, and he's going to be the new M. Ooh, she should be in a Wes Anderson movie. She should totally wow, be in a Wes Anderson be, movie. Oh my amazing. gosh. Which, speaking of, just briefly, tangent, speaking of old ladies, um, the Tilda Swinton role was originally going to be played by Angela, Angela Lansbury, Lansbury. And that oh. would have been so amazing. I mean, I loved Tilda Swinton. Yeah. Love, love. I, Tilda Swinton should be in everything. You know what? I was, thinking about, I was thinking about that because I saw that same piece of trivia that it was originally supposed to be Angela Lansbury. And on the one hand, I would have loved it because I freaking love Angela Lansbury and she would have been hilarious. Mm-hmm. But on the other hand, there's something funnier about it being Tilda Swinton. Like, there's a picture that these boys know I'm obsessed with <laughs> of Tilda Swinton after she has been murdered. Not really a spoiler alert. It's, you see it in the trailer and it happens yeah. within the first 10 minutes of the movie. But she's like sprawled out on the floor and looks <laughs> crazy. Or like there's a picture. Yeah. Then they go and see her in the coffin. And because it's like a younger woman in the old lady makeup. Like, it's right. really it's like funny. Whereas I feel looking. like, like, Angela Lansbury, she's seriously getting up there, guys. Like, true, it, yeah. I think it would not be as funny to see, even as they made, like, staged it comically and her mm -hmm. hair and makeup comically, it would have been kind of upsetting to it see would, that. Angela it would Lansbury. not be Jessica Fletcher as that character. <laughs> it would be Angela Lansbury. Oh, man. If they were to make a Jessica Fletcher movie, Wes though, Anderson. Wes Anderson, he Wes should, Anderson's Murder She Wrote, he should I would be there yes. opening night. Yes. With Jessica Chastain right. as Angela Lansbury. Which they did. Jessica did you Fletcher. have you guys still yeah. seen not seen the SNL spoof like the Wes Anderson's? Oh, Nadry. I have seen it now. Nathan hasn't. It's it's like a coterie. That's what it is. Yeah, <laughs> coterie, coterie of, of I don't know murder or horror or something. And so it's like a Wes Anderson <laughs> horror film. But what's funny is because this film is sort of dark and there are people who get murdered in it. There's quite a lot of death. There's yeah. quite a lot of death and it's it's like a murder mystery almost at times. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is actually like the SNL spoof. Like it was not <laughs> far off sort of in shot and yeah. everything. It was really... That was a, a smart SNL sketch. Yeah. Sure. Well, in terms of other Wes Anderson films that this may or may not have reminded us of, I, 
uh, my view viewership of Wes Anderson is rather limited, but for Dark some reason limited. <laughs> no, in fact, um, <laughs> this actually reminded me a bit of the Fantastic Mr. Fox in the sense of its darker mm. tone, or maybe higher stakes, mm. maybe. Or maybe it's just me projecting because I'm a huge Roald Dahl fan. And I so um, all of these kind of dark, twisted, nightmarish things that still have a lightness yeah. and, a, and a playful veneer to them. Um, I thought that was interesting. Which actually, I know you said you felt, spoiler alert, it's not a spoiler, but <laughs> Nathan fell asleep during Fantastic Mr. Fox. Well, so now you just... Invalidated <laughs> <what I just laughs> no, but I know what you're. But that one's actually, I think, maybe my favorite. One, it's not my favorite, but it's one of my favorite Wes Andersons. And I think partly just because he did play that. What I talked about earlier, like he actually caught the like underpinnings of a more serious theme mm -hmm. really well in that movie, while also catch you know capturing sort of the whimsy of the story. But I actually think he's a great person to adapt stories like Roald Dahl. Oh, Absolutely. yeah. And like stop, stop motion stop animation or just animation in general, yeah. I think is a great, because it's so stylized already. You're right. willing to, you go in with a different mindset when you know it's an animated movie exactly. of any kind of animation. And I think that Fantastic Mr. Fox really worked for Wes Anderson's style right. and Roald Dahl's. And Tom. Wes Anderson movies all are really kind of animated. That's true. In some sense, <laughs> In that's some totally sense. true. I have seen all of, all eight, no, I've seen seven of Wes Anderson's eight films. I haven't seen Bottle Rocket. Nor have the, I. The first of his films. Um, and I sort of have the same issue that I had with um, Grand Budapest Hotel and that they, I've definitely seen them and some of them more than once and they don't really stick with me other than like, knowing the cast and their sort of eccentric and memorable characters right. and images, but not really the storylines or the, you know, the plot, what right. happens. Um, my favorite is definitely, I would say, Royal Tenenbaums, though. That one, I, I feel I like... I agree with that. I feel like a lot of those characters, and maybe it's just that family and the way it's presented and set up, and maybe it's because it's partially written by Owen Wilson, who, you know, is an actor and a performer and has that sort of mentality in terms of writing the script or the, the people. Yeah. I feel like they're a little more, I mean, they're definitely not like your everyday people or real life people, but it's, it's more grounded. I, I get more emotion out of, out of those characters. And I love right. me some Gene Hackman. Oh, Gene Hackman. I mean, we're going to, we're going to move into, cause obviously Wes Anderson has a whole, <laughs> has a whole segment of actors that he uses over and over. Like, I think this was the seventh or eighth time, well, seventh time that Bill Murray has worked with, Attaboy. um, wow. has worked with Wes Anderson. But I think, you know, in the same way that you could talk about, like David O. Russell is such an actor's director and he mm -hmm. always gets great things out of his cast. So it is Wes Anderson. He gets such, I mean, for the movie, sometimes not always connecting on an emotional level. He gets such fun, Great performances. Totally. I mean, I will forever be in love with Jason Schwartzman for Rushmore, and that movie has a special place. Like, that might actually be my favorite Wes Anderson it's movie. Um, and Jason Schwartzman is so good in that movie, and so is Bill Murray. And Olivia Williams. And Olivia Williams, and then Gene Hackman in particular in Rural Tenenbaums. Even Gwyneth Paltrow. I love No, the, I mean, that whole that cast movie. across oh. the board. <laughs> what? what? He, she who must not be named. <laughs> Whatever. I will defend Goop till my dying day. Um, 
speaking, to an that'll be a future podcast topic. All about goop. Speaking of actors, <laughs> also almost cast. Apparently, Wes Anderson's first choice for Monsieur Gustave was Johnny Depp. Oh, oh God, no. no! And that was my precise reaction. Yikes! <laughs> I mean, ten or fifteen years ago, sure, no. that'd be great. No, it would. Maybe, but, but Johnny Depp just—he—he does—he's in Wes Anderson movies even when he's not. He's, <laughs> he doesn't play real people anymore. Right. And that's was the thing that was so great about Ray Fiennes' movies that it absolutely was a real performance. Like, totally. he was a real person. I can't get over how funny he was in this movie. And the movie was he, hilarious. So yeah. funny. So funny. Like, there's a moment, and I can't even really describe it, and I do want to spoil something, but, that, like, a bad guy gets foiled by Zero. And... And he makes this like exclamation of joy about it. And the way he does it and the way the whole thing is staged, I mean, all three of us like burst out like the Elizabeth Cackle came out. It was so <laughs> funny. Yeah. Like, I feel like other Wes Anderson movies are like funny in a in the hipster way, right? Where you're like, oh, this is so funny and cool. Right. But you don't like sit there and laugh out loud, chuckle. Right. I laughed out loud during so many parts of this so many. movie. Agreed. Um, and we haven't even gotten to all the amazing actors just in this movie. So we obviously loved Ray Fiennes, and we talked about how I I agree. I think Tony Revolori was great as our mm-hmm. sort of proxy audience. He was a revelation. Really. <laughs> oh god, <laughs> one could say oh, they no. could, and they just did. <laughs> oh no! I also love the attention to detail that um, his character. I suppose to look more more mature is constantly drawing on a mustache that is just a thin pencil line. And I appreciated that I don't think in any shot that line was the same, like, or at least from scene to scene, which I really appreciated the attention to detail that, like, he's constantly drawing it on and never the same and it always looks like shit. (laughs) A side note to that, I really loved... um, Saoirse Ronan's... uh, Saoirse? Saoirse. Saoirse Ronan's... Um, birthmark on her character's yeah. Yeah. cheek because in the trailers I always thought you know I always perceived it as kind of this like hair curl um, <laughs> you would. that was an echo to uh, Zero's mustache and they both kind of look drawn on I don't think that's a coincidence yeah. I'm going to stay here for the record All right. but I really, I really enjoyed that little, I think it's just because she's so cute and charming that they were like we have to give her a birthmark otherwise she would be married to like but the joke's on them because it makes her more cute and charming (laughs) no i thought she her character needs some eccentric defining mark of some sort how about a birthmark yeah how about one that looks like mexico do it i thought she was so great though so great Mm -hmm. and it's a symbol again of you know it's sometimes hard to get attached to wes anderson characters um and this movie is not heavy. It's a very male-heavy movie. But there's a moment in the film where they do sort of like a turnaround where you think her character has come into some peril. Mm-hmm. <laughs> slash, <laughs> slash died. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, and the whole theater gasped. And I heard it, oh no. Yeah. Like so, People were really attached to this. That's true. This movie had a way of like surprising I mean you go in knowing sort of what a Wes Anderson movie is especially because we saw the trailer a hundred times 120 times (laughs) and it was still surprising it's gonna get more times than we've seen the trailer it'll be a thousand (laughs) 
But yeah, no, it, it, it surprised. And yeah. that made it more exciting. It definitely fit the sort of caper feel or genre right. that worked well for Wes Anderson. And the sort of mystery. I mean, it wasn't like a confusing mystery. You pretty much know who did it. But still, there was like a mystery element to it mm-hmm. that I that I loved. But yeah, I thought she was great. But how about Jeff Goldblum? Yes. Words cannot describe. I know. I love him, and he's so funny in this movie. That moment with the cat. When oh, he's <laughs> Which I loved the three sisters, too. Like, yeah. in the family, you've got Adrian Brody and then his three sisters, yes. who are the, um, the children of Tilda Swinton's old Madame D. Yes. And they're they're great, played by who knows. Who, who knows? I think one of them casting, might have been a man. Legitimately, it's might have been a man. could have been Wes Anderson. Could have been Wes Anderson. Could have been Andy Serkis. I hope it was Andy Serkis. Um, but we we can't let a movie discussion go by without mentioning Andy Serkis. It's true. Um, yeah, no, they were great. Jeff Goldblum was so funny though, in a way that I haven't seen him in forever. It feels like it. But it was nice to see him let loose. Also, I maintain that besides the beard he was sporting in this movie that had like a little salt and pepper in it, he looks the same as he looked in 1994. Oh, yes. A.K.A. <laughs> 20 years ago. A.K.A. when my crush started on him. Oh, of course it did. <laughs> the, the years spanning like 1994 to 1997 were like major Jeff Goldblum years for me because it was... Jurassic Park okay, and then Independence 93. Mm-hmm. I don't think I saw it till 94 though. Okay, I didn't see okay. it in the movie theater. I was a skittish <laughs> child. I wasn't allowed to see it till I was a little older. So it was like Jurassic Park, um, Independence, Independence Day. Day, and then yeah. Lost World, which I of course saw. Oh, yes. I mean, I remember in Independence Day thinking, like, why is everyone talking about like the handsomeness and charisma of this Will Smith character? Like, obviously, <laughs> the romantic lead of that movie is Jeff Goldblum. So, and that says a lot about Elizabeth. <laughs> one could say you really bloomed with Jeff oh, Goldblum. Oh no! Did you have a favorite performance in the film? If you had to list just one, who's your favorite? I mean, I think it has to be Ray Fiennes for me, because I. Yeah, I mean, he gets the most to do. Yeah. Me. He does, but he also, like, meets it, and he surprised me, because I'm not used to seeing that sort of performance. You know, that's the thing, too, is that, like, even though it was great to see Jeff Goldblum, we all know he can be funny, and it was very much a dry Jeff Goldblum performance. Um, You know what I mean? Like, Ray Fiennes is the one who really surprised me. Yeah. I I mean, really, I would probably say Ray Fiennes, but for the the purposes of being different, I'm going to say (laughs) the man with the large scar on his face... Um, <laughs> Scarface. Uh, he's yeah, at the the prison, the prison and um, he has. I actually Zero don't think he has any lines. He, he doesn't speak, but so. his Memorable. facial expressions say wonders, say wonderful things. They did, and uh, I always root for the underdog, the small roles. But um, yeah, yeah. All right. I. <laughs> I mean, if I didn't say Ray Fiennes, I'm. Just going to go Tilda Swinton because I'm over the moon about her all the time. I think it was so fun to see her in something like this that took, you know, hours in the makeup chair. Really just for this camp. I mean, anyone that wasn't Ray Fiennes or Tony Ravioli. Ravalori. Or Saoirse. Or Saoirse. Ravioli. Yeah, this is cinema. Should we talk about food? Um, (laughs) It's basically a cameo. But she, I mean, 
just her line deliveries and her physical well presence. she also she's so again great. because she's Tilda Swinton she didn't just show up for a day and be like alright put me in old lady makeup and then I'll just say my lines like right. she really physically embodied with her posture with her speech patterns yeah. an old ass lady she's a great addition to Wes Anderson's like Ugh, group totally. troop of actors um, but I also want to just give a brief shout out to F. Marie Abraham yes. who I'm loving this late in the game career resurgence for him like on um Homeland and great and inside Louis Davis. Yeah. I also Just loved, the fact that he's visible. We're seeing him in things. I also loved Jude Law in this. I really like that yes. Jude Law is taking interesting and and not particularly I we saw a preview for his movie John Hemingway, which I'm pretty mm. excited to see. <laughs> um but I appreciate that he is is not afraid to not always look totally flattering. Agreed. <laughs> <laughs> um can we talk for a minute about one performance that I was really distressed by? Uh-oh. And it was largely because he did his first scene topless for quite a while, and that was Harvey Keitel. Oh, yeah. I was distressed by his toplessness. <laughs> uh, I thought it was fine. I did not. All right. What character was this? He was the one in, in the, the prison. The prison spearheading well, the escape the plan. Escape not plan. Scarface. Okay. No, yeah. that was in the same The one who right, literally right. for a five minute scene Nathan was topless and the whole time his like <laughs> moves were like jiggling and I was really distracted and disturbed and distressed. Wes Anderson did that just for you. I, I mean, I was already shocked enough with the like octogenarian breasts that we saw earlier. <laughs> I did not need to see Harvey Keitel. Topless for a whole scene. Well, he's more than topless in several other movies. I know. Scenes, so. I know. I've seen the piano. Yep. Um, <laughs> also loved Jason Schwartzman. <laughs> like, dim-witted, not very good concierge. <laughs> yes. It was great. Who had, like, a French name, but then right. talked in Jason Schwartzman's Of course, part. as he would. I was also actually really pleased and amused that in this film, he, because he has a pretty international cast... Mm-hmm. Um, and that he didn't have anyone try and use an accent other than their own. True. Yep. You know, Ray Fiennes was British, and then he goes into the prison, and traumatizing shirtless Harvey Keitel has Harvey Keitel voice, yep. and Jason Schwartzman has Jason Schwartzman voice. Mia Sadu shows up, speaks some French. Yeah. Why not? Why not? Matthew Almerich. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, that just added to the this general European right. feel. And we haven't even talked really about Adrian Brody, who was funny enough in his small role as the menacing. Willem Dafoe played like a thug, mm-hmm. which was great. He was very funny. They had some funny eyeliner on him. <laughs> they um, and then Ed Norton. And I really like, speaking of people who I appreciate, Wes Anderson has added to his sort of cast of character, of actors who mm-hmm. he likes to cast. I like this addition of Ed Norton. I agree. I liked him better in Moonrise Kingdom. But well, he had more to do. That's true. That. But um, oh. but he's another, he's another one, sort of like Ray Fiennes, where it's sort of nice to see him take off his super serious Agreed. actor. Agreed. Cap. I'm ready for an Ed Norton resurgence. I'm ready for him to take some so, challenging roles. So, just for those listening, we're ready for an Ed Norton resurgence. We're ready for a Jeff Goldblum resurgence. Yes. And an F. Murray Abraham resurgence. Oh, his resurgence is, is here. It's we here. Are, we are living the F. Murray Abraham it's, age. It's here Take now. Two. <laughs> Take two. He's 
earning that 1984 Best Actor. Speaking of uh, Oscar prospects, briefly, what do you think in terms of this film? I know his last one, Moonrise Kingdom, probably came semi-close to Best Picture nomination, ultimately just getting an original screenplay nomination. What do you think? I think it's doomed. Yeah. I mean, it's it's early in the year. Right. Really, March is when it was released. True. Right. Sadly. I think, I also think it's, you know, I mean, Moonrise Kingdom was a little bit more, I think that one was a little bit more effective at having sort of that lasting impact that we talk about. Agreed. And I think it was because it had the love story of the two children that was actually quite moving. Mm-hmm. Um, and those two child actors were fantastic. Such finds. Um, so that one was a little bit more grounded, whereas this one was totally, to me, just like really fun, fun yeah. movie that, as we know, fun movies don't usually have a That's place true. at the Oscars. You never know, though. Um, I mean, I would love to see. I would love to see it get nominated for um, um, art direction. Yeah, I would love one of his movies to get in production for art design direct. or something. Production design, yeah, at some point, and score for this one. You yes, know, I think it will be at least on the the short list come the end of the year. Yes, and potentially screenplay, sort of just you know the the right. usual suspects. Yeah. You know, anytime Wes Anderson has a movie, it's. There's in consideration. Right. But yeah, probably not picture. Yeah, I don't think so. I don't think it's... I think it'll show up on some top ten lists end of the year. You know, it's a great yeah. top ten list filler. Hey, I like this movie. I don't foresee it being number one on any list. I would love... I would love for Ray Fiennes to get a Golden Globe nomination for that Best Actor in a Comedy. Mm-hmm. Even best would be if he won, because then the back-to-back winners of the best comedy would be Leonardo DiCaprio <laughs> and Ray Fine. Two of our most gifted, gifted comedians. <laughs> treasured comic actors. Uh, um, well, speaking of the rest of the year, then, what else are we generally looking forward to in 2014? Any, anything that's sticking out when you look at the rest of the year? I have. Nathan, well, yeah, I mean, right now, I'm looking forward to Godzilla, yes. just because I'm in the mood for um, blockbusters, and the trailer is incredible, and I'm a sucker for good trailers, even though I know that it doesn't necessarily translate into a good movie, um, but I'm really excited for it. Me too. I'm ready for summer movie season, even though like a few weeks from now, I'll probably be sick of it. Me too. Although, actually, I am not excited for the new Godzilla. I'm just excited to rewatch the Matthew Broderick Godzilla. <laughs> just Such kidding. High taste. That movie is Have terrible. <laughs> no, I'm excited for the new Godzilla. I'm also really excited for Under the Skin. Mm. Yes. The um, Scarlett Johansson. The Jonathan Glazer. Jonathan yeah. Glazer film. Also, I as I was telling them just before we started, I'm having a total like renaissance in my love for Scarlett Johansson, I think. She's highly underrated, and I think she's starting to come back it's around. It's time for a resurgence. I think she, in a way, is sort of like a female Brad Pitt in that people were really distracted for a big part of her career by what she looks like, mm. which she's very easy to define by that, and she got roles that were sort of defined by that, and so they weren't interesting because why would they be? They're not interestingly written. True. Um but I think she, I think she has a lot more depth and talent, and I've heard nothing but good things. So I'm really excited for that movie. Agreed. Just in terms of like the big Oscar possible plays, I'm looking forward to Foxcatcher, 
the new Bennett Miller movie that was supposed to come out last yeah. year with Steve Carell and Channing Tatum and Mark Ruffalo, the new Paul Thomas Anderson, Inherit Vice with um, Joaquin Phoenix, Christopher Nolan's Interstellar, Interstellar. for sure, mm-hmm. even though I'm not really on board the Matthew McConaughey Express because no. he kind of grates on me. Angelina Jolie, her yes, next her. directorial attempt, Unbroken, looks kind of like middle-of-the-road Oscar bait. Like I'm also porn, but it, it super excited for Maleficent. I mean, I'm... Yes, I'm, that would I'm, definitely be a podcast. I'm timid and nervous because it's probably going to be terrible or not as good as we're hoping, but first off, it's like the all-time greatest Disney villain ever, ever, and if there's anyone who can actually do it justice, it is Angela Jolie. Or Angela Lansbury. <laughs> <laughs> I think we've missed the boat there. Oh, the reboot. Uh, yes. Reboot. Starring <laughs> Angela Lansbury. Um, but also, in terms of 2014 movies, I think number one, for better or probably much, much worse, is Into the Woods. I mean, it's one of my favorite musicals, that cast. <sighs> I'm nervous because Rob Yikes. Marshall has proven that he can't really direct a film unless it was the fluke that was Chicago. I'm looking forward to Last Five Years, another musical no. with, with Anna Kendrick. No, uh, Last Five Years starring the walking gorilla, Jeremy Jordan. <laughs> someone who I am not sure in life can construct a complete sentence and yet he supposed <laughs> he's playing a brilliant writer. And that alone lost That's me. enough to, to lose you. He has a real punchable face. <laughs> All right, I can see it. This is a face you I'm willing to, to forgive, forgive the punchable face. Uh, and then, besides Into the Woods in the last five years, my other one in the top three for 2014 that I'm looking forward to, even though I know absolutely nothing about it, is Cameron Crowe's as yet untitled film with Bradley Cooper, Emma Stone, and Rachel McAdams. Yeah, I always hold out hope for Cameron Crowe. I do too. I love Almost Famous cast, so much. And the cast is. He gets has good a lot people. Of promise, yeah. I mean, Elizabeth Town. I think that was his. Last, oh no, he did. We bought a zoo. We bought oh, a zoo. Oh god, I shouldn't be looking forward to this new one. <laughs> but Elizabeth yeah. Town was such garbage, such garbage, but yeah. almost famous. Mm. I I have two more. Oh. One, yeah, I know. Uh, one would be Boyhood. Oh, yes. Yeah. Which yes, yes. is a Richard Linklater Correct. film um, who did, uh, he did the Before Sunrise, Before Sunset, Before Midnight trilogy. Um, one, it's a favorite at Cinemunch and I yes, think of all of ours. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> and this one he filmed over the course of years. Mm-hmm. Uh, the same child actor kind of grew up with him. You know, the film grew up with him, I guess you could say. But mm-hmm. anyway, it's uh, groundbreaking and and is very promising. The other one is, of course, one that I forgot the title of. If you know me, you know <laughs> I forget names and titles and who even cares. Um, it's, uh, it's that one with the thing. It's the sci-fi <laughs> oh. thing. Snowscape? Snowpiercer? Snowpiercer. Oh, Snowpiercer. Snowpiercer. Speaking of Tilda. Tilda. Yeah, I mean... I have heard bad things about what they're doing in in the editing room for American. No, it's going to be released as is it? it is now, I believe. Yes, but oh, it, went through, it, it did go through a big fight with, um, Weinstein. with Weinstein. Anyway, I've been looking forward to that for a long time, and I'm excited that it's finally, hopefully, coming out. Yeah. Well, yeah. I have I have two, two sort of just summer 
blockbustery movies that I'm looking forward to, one of which being X-Men Days of Future Past. Mm-hmm. Um, I really liked the first two X-Men movies mm-hmm. a lot, actually. I thought they were, I mean, I, I don't know anything about like comic books. I don't read them. <laughs> I don't know. Um, but I really liked the first two directed by Brian Singer, and he's back in the director's chair, mm-hmm. which gives me hope. And I actually really liked um, X-Men First Class, yeah, showed promise. I thought it was a good start of like a reboot. Um, and I especially think that, you know, they have two incredibly strong actors playing the older Professor X and Magneto yes. and Ian McKellen and Patrick Stewart. And they actually found two actors of like equal caliber who had great chemistry with each other and could sort of anchor those films with a little bit weight of weight. Um, and also they're both dreamy. Um, and James McAvoy and Michael Fassbender, so I'm excited for that movie, kind of just to see the four of them together. For sure. And those posters are incredible. Have you guys seen the, like, one-sheet posters where it's... It's like half of one in the face. Act, it's half of one face, and it, like, looks strangely, like... Yeah. I'm sure it's manipulated a little bit, I'm but it's sure, really but it's kind of fascinating how it's done. Yeah. And the other big, like, blockbustery movie that I'm both excited and nervous for is Guardians of the Galaxy. Hmm. Which I am mostly just because I love Chris Pat Pratt so, so much. Mm-hmm. And I really want him to be like a major movie star because I think he's so wonderful. And pull his wife along with him to get her off that CBS show. Slash I don't want him to be successful because then I'm afraid he'll leave Parks and Recreation. But anyway. <laughs> priorities. Priorities. So that is a lot to look forward to in 2014, it and is. I'm sure we'll have podcasts on several of those movies. Yes. I think 2014 in general has a lot to a high bar to clear when it comes to to film. I think 2013 last year was, I think we can all agree, pretty it great. Good, it was a great, pretty year great for year film. for film. So 2014 has a lot to live up to, but. Um, and our next movie that we're going to do a podcast for in a couple weeks, mm-hmm. we're going to have a little a little gap period. Mm. Um, there's a wedding that's taking place, that's mm. taking precedent in Matt and Nathan's the, lives. The big wedding. Um, but we're going to review Noah, so you have a couple of weeks to see it, form your own opinions, and then you can hear our drunken, I can't wait for us to come up with an ARC-related oh. beverage. Yeah. You know? Gotta get thinking. <laughs> just a huge flood of alcohol. <laughs> we'll, just call it, we'll just call it The, the Flood. flood. It'll be like a walk. And we'll just do a keg stand. We'll just do a keg stand yeah, for that. Just non-stop shots. Just non-stop shots. Oh, raining again. Do a shot. <laughs> it's just going to be a flood of alcohol. Oh, Russell Crowe is intense. Take a shot. Oh, God, if Russell Crowe sings, we definitely will need to be intoxicated. Oh, Lord. <laughs> well, yeah. That was Cinna Drunk, episode one. Thanks for joining us. <laughs>